Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're learning together how to live in the age of Christian fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I want you to know that uh, Seth and Wendy and I, Kathy Maggie, we pre-taped uh, another program on abortion last week. Uh, it didn't sit right with me after I left, and the Spirit wouldn't let me rest on the matter so much so that I started churning on the subject and doing more and more investigation. And so we have retaped, Seth and I have retaped the show this afternoon on the night that you're going, on the day that you're going to see it. That means you're going to watch tonight. I want to thank those of you who have written and uh, called me and asked me to seriously consider the ramifications of abortion on society and families and individuals and, of course, on women and the unborn uh, child and then, of course, God. Um, these letters have served to move me to further investigation on the subject, uh, which have included my watching a half dozen uh, YouTube programs from both sides of the issue, watching two actual abortions uh, being performed, and reading thoughts on the subject from some of the most informed, uh, balanced minds on both sides of the topic. I cannot recommend enough to you a film by director Tony Kay of American History X fame. He wrote and directed that movie. Uh, he wrote and directed a movie called Lake of Fire. It's about abortion. And uh, I think it's one of the best uh, documentaries out there, let alone uh, uh, films on the subject of abortion. Uh, it's pretty well balanced. Um, I want to give uh, thanks to Matt and Cassidy for the heads up on that one. Our show, you know, is called Heart of the Matter. We could equally call it the root of the problem or uh, the core of the issue. And as we're dedicated to hacking through the forest of all the information and opinions on every topic that we come across, except for interviews. Interviews, we don't do anything. We just let the guests talk. But, and, and then we try to speak to the essential core heart of the matter themes relative to being an authentic Christian in this age of fulfillment. I mean, authentic Christianity has been really important to what our program's all about. And I'm speaking to Christians. Understand that tonight. And I'm always speaking to Christians of whatever ilk they are. And I'm particularly appealing to Christians who understand eschatology and understand that we're living in an age uh, where the culture of Christianity is somewhat, in some cases, very different than what the New Testament describes. So there is perhaps no greater subject on earth that allows me to the better opportunity or a better opportunity to illustrate the principles of Christianity in the age of fulfillment than the subject of abortion. Uh, understand clearly from the get-go, right out of the gates, I am personally appalled, sickened, um, by abortion. I've never participated in let in getting someone to have an abortion, encourage someone to have an abortion. And on a number of occasions I have faced whether a partner of mine, 
uh, should have an abortion, and I've always said no. Fortunately, those were false positive pregnancies, and they weren't pregnant in the first place. But I was always against the idea of abortion, even as uh, uh, a a nihilist um, person. I just did not like the idea of it. But as a sold-out believer of Christ and his word and his hand in creation, I want to reiterate that personally, uh, the idea and the act of abortion to me is reprehensible. I hope you understand that as we move forward. I want you to put on your thinking caps and I want you to put on uh, your seeing things from a different view tonight if you're going to hear me out. Now, the fanatics from either side of the fence, uh, you might as well turn the channel now. You know, it doesn't matter what I can't appease you and your zeal to defend abortion or to attack abortion. And I have zero interest in trying. Our purpose is to reach Christians who are seeking to understand the the best contextual way to live the Christian life in a world when things like abortion occur. It's really important, important. It's really important for me to say here and now that abortion is in and of itself much, much, much bigger of a topic than ending a pregnancy before the end of gestation. It is so much bigger than that in this day and in this age. Uh, And because of this fact, fact, because of this fact, which I intend to illustrate tonight, the Christian community, those people who put their faith and trust in God through Christ and who try to live lives of love, we lose in the end, when, when, when the Christian community steps in and representationally or collectively decides to fight against this social ill or, frankly, any social ill. Why? First of all, it's my opinion that we are fighting an absolutely unwinnable war that we will not stop abortion even if we get it legislatively banned in the countries that we live in. But more importantly, far more importantly, we lose what being a Christian is all about in the process of fighting that social ill as defined, as defined by our Christian leader, Jesus Christ. And what he and his apostles did in their lives. Remember, abortion has been around since 1500 B.C. as a matter of record. So the Romans were having abortions. There was all sorts of techniques they were doing to try to abort babies. And we don't even see it addressed by the Lord or his apostles. So uh, what did they do? They shared Jesus as the means to confront social ills and to solve social ills and to be there for a source of hope among those who have fallen prey to social ills. So some of the major difficulties on the topic or debate on abortion need to be mentioned. First of all, there is a great value of insight and information from both sides. Tremendous value from both sides. Who doesn't 
care, that's a rational person, about the, the well-being of an un, unborn child? Who in their right mind doesn't care about the, the health and well-being and protection of an unborn child? At the same time, who isn't interested greatly in people having the freedom to choose? Both of those things have important points when it comes. Now, I realize that some people have automatically shut the blinds. Oh, no, 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 there's no choice when it comes. I get it. Oh, no, 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 there's no question a person should have the right. I get your, your immediate responses. But bottom line, if you want to be reasonable, both sides have merit. Both positions are vital to God. That he loves freedom and he loves children and and unborn babies. He's the creator. Now, if your view of God is different than that, and you see him as a sovereign lawgiver who uses his believers to uh, despotically reign over others and threaten them with, with injunctions, that's another thing. That's your, that's your religious view of this. But bottom line, I believe in a God who loves freedom. And we're gonna, that's going to become more apparent as we talk. And I believe in a God who loves pr- a creation. Okay? So both sides have merit. Related to this point is that when either side of the argument, pro-choice, pro-life, is heard or presented in isolation of the other. All you do is hear the choice side. All you do is hear the life side. When either one is presented, they have great merit when they are isolated from each other. And unless someone, of course, has become so prejudiced to themselves that they can only see and hear what they want to see and hear. And we work really, really hard to try not to let our prejudices, at least I do, I work so hard to not let them influence my opinion in large part because opposing views do have merit. From them, we can see some things we haven't seen before And so when they are included fairly into a conversation, they have the ability, listen, opposing views have the ability when considered to bring in compassion and love and prayers and real help uh, and actions that lend to these things rather than just condemning people because we myopically have only considered one side of an argument. This reasonable approach to topics like abortion are shut down by the polarizing sides because those polarized sides thrive on emotionalism of topics, especially when it comes to abortion. And they are able to take control of the emotional heart of people and, and, and they get people worked up on, on things that are not bringing the, everything into play. So what Christian isn't moved by the sight of a amputated baby's arm, bloody and on a poster? What Christian isn't disgusted and moved by that? And what 
reasonable person isn't offended when the inalienable rights of an of a human being are uh, infiltrated by a government or by a religious organization. I don't want my rights to be uh, uh, infiltrated upon by anybody. I don't want someone to tell me I can't smoke a cigarette or I can't do other damaging things to myself. And 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 we're going to talk about well, who brought in this idea that someone in our society should tell us that you can't do this and you can't do that. Additionally, super extreme difficulties are created when we examine a topic and we don't look at it from every perspective imaginable. And I've been trying to do this over the past couple of weeks relative to abortion. And so when it comes to abortion, we should try to see the perspective of the people involved, the mother and the father, all things considered. The unborn baby involved, the perspective of lost, lost opportunity and, and or gained opportunity. We, we need to see society's perspective. We need to see the culture and the economic perspective. We have to see God's point of view. And we have to include all of that in the workings of what's going on on this world. And, and you're going to understand why that's important in a minute. I won't even try to articulate the different perspectives involving abortion tonight. I'm not going to try to tell you all the different perspectives a mother or a father or the unborn or society uh, could have. No way. Finally, as far as I'm concerned, the issue at hand has to be, listen carefully, depoliticized and completely gutted of religious influence, which I realize is a pipe dream in this world, but political sway and religious influence has a way of swinging people away from these things I just mentioned that are important to understanding an issue and moving people into places of bias, great bias, blinder bias, and which is so easy to do on something so emotional as the subject of abortion. I know that the world at large will disagree with this last part, especially the zealots on either side of the fence, but political leanings and religious indoctrinations always allow for dogmatic thinking. They encourage it. And dogma only serves to emotionally polarize people who would otherwise do better if they sought to see the issue of abortion from a big picture rather than from a political or religious picture. And that is the, one of the first main things I want you to think about as a Christian living today. What's the big picture of abortion? Now, I know you can look at what the baby thinks and you can look at the mother and you can look at the damage all of it does. And I think it's heinous. But what's the step back big picture and what are the results of that? It's important. It's an important part of being a believer in the age of fulfillment. We, by the spirit and the spirit fruit is love, have to take every situation in hand appealing to the law of God written on our hearts and humbly assess every situation like abortion 
through these lenses, not through the extremist, the political, or the religionist lenses, because they are aimed at getting you biased and not trying to look at the big picture. We are sons and daughters of God, and as such, we're fully responsible, individually responsible for our respective views and the words we use and the actions we take and the behaviors we embrace toward those who are not like-minded and have a different worldview than ours, who do not think like us. We have the responsibility as sons and daughters to God of God to bring something to that table that is going to have the ability to reach over the table, take them by the hand, and show them his love and the value of placing faith and hope in him. This brings me to the stark reality that has to be considered if you want to live your life of faith out in this world as Christ lived his life. And the reality is this, like it or not. There are millions, billions of people who live, act, make decisions, think, speak on the here and now, on what we call the immediate. And there are people who think, speak, act, and live their lives with an eternal perspective, from an eternal perspective. The immediate perspective, the eternal perspective. And being a citizen of this world, we have to admit, whichever perspective we have, there's a large portion of people who live life differently than us. Herein lies the deep car- de- de- demarcation line between those who are children of God, actual sons and daughters of God, and those who are not. Now, all of us, Christian and not, have acted and lived our lives from the immediate perspective. Do you realize that? This view is the view of the world that has very little care for the eternal view when we're acting upon the immediate perspective. It's only concerned with how do I get my needs and wants and desires met immediately. And so most of us, Christian and not, have cheated on tests. We've cheated on taxes. We've broken tax, uh, we've broken traffic laws, and we have fulfilled elements of our lust improperly with others. We do this because we justify our actions as necessary or convenient to our well-being at the time. Another word for it really is selfishness. Another word that you could probably assign to it is sin. But everyone does it. We say, screw the the eternal view. I've got to do something right now in the immediate to satisfy myself, whether it's to protect myself, prolong myself, give me a better life, whatever it is. Relative to having abortions, this is the general worldview. The participant is acting in the immediate. Without 
It's just more of an extreme expression of the immediate. An expression many Christians condemn in them who have them, all the while forgetting that every one of us have served ourselves and committed similar crimes. To me, since we are all guilty of doing this to some extent or another, Christians are the first to refrain from condemning those who find themselves doing it too. Even if we convince ourselves that selfishly taking cuts in a long line at a movie is nothing like selfishly protecting our future because we abort a baby. We'll say there's no comparison at all between the two, but in the end, the reality remains, these are all decisions based on people who say, I'm taking the eternal view of things or I'm taking the immediate view of things, which is pretty much based in selfishness and sin. So alternately, those who strive to see life through what I'm calling the eternal view are far more apt and equipped to see selfish shortcuts as incongruent with the long view, and then they try to make choices appropriate to that long view. What we are looking at then when it comes to abortion is the difference between those who see life through the immediate short-term temporal worldview and those who see life through an eternal view. We can boil it down that way. And the means by which we help people to move from thinking about themselves in the immediate is to bring in Jesus and to bring God in, not attacking their short-term self-centered acts that accompany that worldview. In every frame of footage I watched over the past 10 days, I watched on pro and con abortion, the decisions from every single person who chose or defended the right to abort were entirely couched in the immediate worldview. Every one of them. This mindset is not one bit different than the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, who impetuously, living by the immediate view, took his inheritance, went to a far country, lived riotously, and spent it all without any plan for the future. That's what that person represented. Sad, yes, painful, yes, bad decision, certainly. His choice, it was. And he lived through the consequences of it. Interestingly, though, it was his poor choice of choosing the immediate and the pain from that choice that ultimately brought him back to his father. Something Christians in the age of fulfillment need to seriously remind themselves of. Unfortunately, and this is important, truly unfortunate, many people who are in strident opposition against abortion have chosen to respond to the horrors and shame and guilt and pain of abortion 
from the same ever so limited perspective of the immediate solution. They are responding to immediate actions of others, which they, which they renounce, with an immediate solution. And it completely wipes out the eternal view that we should be operating by. Let me explain what I mean by this. Those who strive against abortion, and I can talk about this side more because that is typically what the Christian position is, posit their revulsion against the act in the framework of the immediate, instead of the framework of the eternal, and in so doing have resorted to showing bloody depictions of brutalized baby parts and shaming women who are walking into family planning clinics and even killing medical professionals who are performing the abortions. That's immediate knee-jerk solution-making that does jack in the, in the reality. Jack. Most of them use God and the Bible as being really concerned. God is so angry. He's so concerned with abortion. He is just, you are, you are a reprobate. You should be put to death. Many say that. For, for putting a child to death, and God is so angry with you, and they speak without authority for God in the immediate solution to it. The problem, the actual hypocrisy in approaching abortion this way, and not from the eternal view perspective, which is how God responds to things, he does not respond in the immediate. If you don't know that, you're a mystical Christian who believes that he's telling you what celery to buy at the store. But he operates from an eternal perspective and his children should be operating from that perspective too. Let me give you some examples. Did you know that God lets over a million children disappear around the world every year from kidnapping. Did you know that God lets 26 million pornographic images of children engaged in sexually explicit things to exist on the dark web that other people indulge in? 26 million images have been taken of children. God lets it. Did you know that God allows 3.2 million children a year to experience brutal physical abuse? I'm not talking about sexual abuse now. I'm talking about physical abuse with 80% of the children involved in that experiencing that from at least one of their parents. Did you know that in the U.S. alone, five children under the age of three die every day from being physically beaten to death? God allows it. Are you stopping that? Did you know that according to UNICEF, God allows 3 million children a year to die from malnutrition? Most of it because their bodies, their little bodies are so weak from malnutrition that disease like a common cold overtakes them and kills them. Did you know that infanticide, do you know what that is? 
That's when a baby's born, takes a breath, and, and is either put to death right then, usually by strangling, or by being laid out in the brush and uncared for until it starves to death or dies by coyotes or whatever. Infanticide is rampant still in third world nations like India and Africa. And that 41 out of every thousand births end in infanticide in those countries if the baby being born is female. Did you know that uh, female genitalia is being uh, ripped apart in many countries still today? Ripped apart violently, painfully on the child because of these crazy sexual ideas that uh, mostly religious men have. Did you know that around the world there are over 73 million children under the age of 10 who are doing labor in hazardous jobs by force? And did you know that around the world there are 100 million children that are homeless? Now, I realize that comes in all kinds of striations, but nevertheless, they live on the street. Listen, in the end, This God who allows those things allows abortion. Where are all the Christians and where is all the uproar over these grave situations? I just I just read to you these atrocities that are heaped upon children. I didn't even mention what's happening with adults, just children. Those are statistics. We see and hear very little from our street choirs about these atrocities, right? But for some reason, we have a just explosion of rhetoric coming from the Christian side about abortion. Why? It's because abortion has been politicized and is the card that divides the world and especially the nation politically. And many emotionally driven souls who see and understand the horrors of abortion and what it does to women, of course, and of course the babies, are recruited to join this outward political fight on the streets, online, and in voting booths. Where's the ardent compassion of the abused, the raped, the illicitly filmed, the kidnapped, the disappeared, the prostituted children? Who is really fighting to feed these children that we have that are so malnourished? How on earth could we have children sleeping on the streets in a world of Christian love? The answer lies in the fact, the fact that we have allowed politically driven men and women to sway people of faith into believing that they're actually doing the will of God by protesting abortion clinics. That has been the product of political manipulation. My point is not to say that these other things are okay or acceptable, just like my point is not to say that abortion is a harmless act. It's all fugly. It's all harmful and brutal and riddled with straight up pain for children. But the point is to say that in the end, understand this. In the end, God himself lets and allows all of it to happen. 
And in the end, all of it has happened and all of it is going to continue to happen. And no matter what short-term immediate attempt, empty cause Christians embrace, that's not the cause of Christ. It has never been the cause of Christ. He didn't even mention it. He allows, God allows children to be raped. He allows them to get cancer. He allows them to go hungry and die of starvation. He allows them uh, disease to flourish and terrorism to spread and natural disasters to wipe out some pretty good chunks of society. He allows the atrocities of war, children with deformities to be born, cancer to thrive, carloads of teens almost every weekend around the world dying horrible deaths. And Christians have a few choices we can make in the face of these facts. Those are facts. We can see God working from an eternal perspective and we can walk in faith and we can stand as a solution to these ills, solutions of faith and love and hope found in Christ. Or we can resort to the immediate in order to make ourselves feel like we're doing something. It's like spitting on a forest fire. You're not going to do anything except alienate people who need Jesus the most from seeking him the most. We need to do what Jesus and his apostles did and live lives of faith and agape love and shine light into the needy world, lights of compassion and forgiveness and long-suffering and hope in the face of all of this human atrocity. Or... We can do what Jesus and his apostles did not do. And we can embrace secular temporal causes, become politically motivated, rally behind religion and their puppeteering, and Don Quixote, the whole frickin' mess, absolutely deluding ourselves all in the name of God. (sighs) Stay with me, I'm almost done. Unfortunately, many misguided men and women have chose and will continue to choose the latter. And they have said, no, we think God wants us to fix this world in his name. And we are going to do what Jesus and his apostles did. We're going to war against this world, even though Jesus' kingdom wasn't of it. It's gone on for thousands of years relative to abortion. The religio-political approach really took hold, though, in 1973 when four men, four men, all of them ardent Calvinists, I'm sorry, they are, decided that God, through political action, wanted to start ruling the world again by his law that was written to the nation of Israel. The leader was a name by, by, named Cornelius Van Til, and he had three guys who borrowed from, heavily from him and systematized his legalistic thought about the law of Moses being reinstituted to govern the world. And their name was Rusus uh, Rushduni and Greg Bonson and Gary North. And they all, they all gathered together and Rushduni created a book to support these hyper-legalistic 
compassionless views, and they called uh, they, to support their what's called Christian restructionism, and they wrote this book called The Institutes of Biblical Law. Just like the writings of Hegel that influenced Karl Marx and the writings of Nietzsche that influenced Hitler, this book, which again promoted the returning of everything relative to God's law, that means putting people to death for blasphemy, for uh, dishonoring parents, for being juvenile delinquents, putting people to death for that, greatly influenced a group of lesser zealous people known as the religious right. And the religious right took our faith, which is based on compassion, mercy, love and long suffering and patience. And they said, we are going to fight for school prayer. We're going to fight for homosex- against homosexuality. We're going to fight against contraception. We're going to fight against pornography and we're going to fight against abortion. Rastuni was so zealous when he, that he wrote that the death penalty should be for public blasphemy, homosexuality, adultery, witchcraft, incorrigible delinquency, unchastity, and the propagation of false doctrine. That book planted seeds in the minds of guys like Jerry Falwell, the moral majority, the Christian right, the evangelical right, which continues, even though the, the zealotry of it faded, that the, the seeds are still growing in the minds and hearts of people who are representing our faith to the rest of this world, and they're doing it badly. These men forgot with all of their learning that the law was nailed to the cross of Christ, that we are dead to the law that we are free to live lives according to the new commandments of faith and love. From that book came the moral majority and innumerable other factions that hijacked the name of God and Christ and systematically got a nation of believers, of faithful believers who want to love God right, to think we should be political and should be religious And worst of all, we should be forcing and mandating the rest of the world to comply with our beliefs. It's a no-brainer to see that the devastation of abortion on the baby involved, of course, the mother, devastation, the father, the family, the world at large. Go watch one being being performed if you can stomach it. Just go watch it. And uh, it will rip you up. But abortion is not one bit more horrific than infanticide, child pornography, child prostitution, kidnappings, beatings, homelessness, or malnutrition of children. There is one and one solution to all of these evils, folks. And it does not come in the immediate It comes in the long view, and it doesn't come from the flesh of men and women. That's the cause of the problems. It comes from the Spirit of God working through men and women, not by imposing law, but by imposing love. He's the solution our King shared with those who need Him in love 
with compassion and hope. In summary, and in the age of fulfillment of all things, except the individual's decision to walk in the light of the eternal perspective or in the immediate, there are two questions Christians, sons and daughters of God, must ask themselves when it comes to abortion. One, what is my personal, individual worldview? Do I respond personally in my life to things from an immediate perspective or from an eternal one? That's where we start. The second question is, how will I react and respond to those who live their lives from the immediate worldview? And if it's not by faith, love, long-suffering, patience, kindness, you've missed the mark of being a Christian. Write your comments below. The idea of an earthly kingdom materially governed by righteousness is a fat lie. It has been propagated by legalistic, warped-minded Calvinists who think that we can go in politically and govern the moral lives of the people in this world. God doesn't even do that. God did give us a solution that works. It heals, it saves, it changes minds, it enlightens in the, in the, in the pool of the mess that we're in. That is the response to every abortion ever committed. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Because he is the eternal view. He is the solution and can become the immediate for people who choose him. That's the beautiful thing of it, is that when you choose the eternal view, he allows his influence on us to become the immediate view as well. It's really interesting as I wrap this up that the opposing sides of the abortion issue are known by names that embody Christ Jesus. Pro-life, I mean, He's the way, the truth, and the life. You don't get more pro-life than Jesus. Pro-choice? Give me a break. It's all about choice. Just like the prodigal son had to choose to go back to his father. Step away from the zealotry on either side. Choose him, then help others with his compassion and his love and his patience. Write your comments below. We want to cover them tomorrow night here on Heart of the Matter.